0: We're kind of badasses anyway. Yeah. So I don't know about Dylan. I didn't really do anything. I just kind of <laughs> phoned it in. Yeah. It was I just I'm, like tell me when to show up. Yeah. And who to beat up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's the bad guys? They yeah. pointed them to us, and we just, you know, because a lot of the stunt guys were kind of soft. Weren't were they? they?
1: Yeah. We kind of had to. Were keep they slaying, intimidated you know. by you?
0: Yeah. yeah. Were they? Oh well. You know, obviously. Yeah yeah you know when you when you're you know when you're walking up with stunt guys and they have forty pounds on you, you know how could they not be intimidated by <laughs> yeah, you yeah know? of all muscle, yeah.
2: Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that bombed at the movie theaters or maybe the critics just didn't like. Brad, I have no idea what episode this is. It's like 193. Okay, getting closer to 200. How are you this evening?
3: I am fantastic. I I did not have to work for Washington's birthday, so I'm all fired up. Awesome. You should be called president's day and now it's washington's birthday what are what are we doing i don't what know are we doing? i have no I clue I, I it's a federal
2: holiday so that's all i know i can't keep up with your schedule or the holiday <laughs> schedule uh we have a guest tonight you want to do the formal formal introductions there i do. it is jose from watch skip plus which made
3: its triumphant return released the kraken it has returned yes jose
1: thank you for joining us once again Thank you for heralding our return, (laughs) and uh, I'm happy to be back on. This is my home away from home, and uh, you are correct. We are back. We have a new co-host, Alex Alex MC, Barbie Barbarian, (laughs) Uh, and uh, we've uh, put out two episodes so far and excited for more.
2: Love it. I love that Alex is your co-host. That makes me so happy.
3: You've got like a little Jedi Padawan uh, relationship going on, and I really
1: like it. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Most definitely. Although, you know, how many times can I be like, Hey, have you seen whatever? And then he says no. And I go, Oh,
2: well, so (laughs) it's all good. Yeah. I, I exposed Alex to a lot of films, but we, you know, he, um, he, I, I love that Alex is sort of my second son. Um, he definitely has gravitated to the criterion stuff. I mean, he's exploring movies on his own. I think it's funny that him and Cameron, are both um, diving into a lot of the same genres and same films. But I love the fact that two episodes in, I mean, you guys, you guys just naturally click, which I think everybody knew behind the scenes. Um, but we're oh, so happy you. to have Watch Skip Plus back. It that yes. that was uh that was a huge void in our lives.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to be back. We of course we misread, of course, yes. but we are we are continuing and Alex is already cringing over the films i'm making him watch this year so <laughs> <laughs> no it's good
3: yeah dumpywarey is uh is in full force yeah it is oh,
1: um, it's a great time to be a moviegoer <laughs> oh boy
2: well we're we're talking about an action film tonight so of course we had to have you on jose but we're you know talking
3: what? about American Assassin by the way from 2017 we haven't said the film yet we haven't
2: yes so an action film from 2017 called American Assassin before hey, we get bang bang shoot shoot. Yes, before we get into this, I just had a <laughs> I, I wanted to just talk real quick with you both cuz I don't think we've ever um really shared our thoughts on this genre proper. So I was thinking about this the other day. Um and I I watched quite a bit of action films. Um even with a mutual friend, uh, Randy, I got to spend some time with him this weekend and we watched a Korean film called The Child which was a blast. We loved it. But I was thinking about this um I was really curious because I don't think I've asked either of you to this question. I have two questions, but I'm going to start with one. What makes a good action film? Like, what do you want in your action movies? What do you look forward to the minute that you kind of dive into this genre? And I'm going to start with you, Jose. Do you have, I don't know, a list of like four or five things that you go, man, if if this is in that film, I, I'm i pretty sure I'm going to love it.
1: Uh Lots of explosions, okay, <laughs> of course. Good, good. Uh well well, I to put it all in context, uh like you, I grew up as a child of the eighties watching crazy like eighties action films that mm-hmm. defy logic, don't make any sense, but there's a lot of gunfire, a lot of like quippy quippy lines, kind of like, you know, black comedy sort of thing. Um, but then I also like you explored hong kong cinema and seeing that very kind of kinetic energy and so for an action film for me what i first of all i love stunts and i love fighting so i think that's you know if there are good fights or at least good action coordination whether that's cars you know whatever um i'm i'm pretty happy and overall especially loving 80s action films the simplicity of a story Mm -hmm. I think goes a long way towards the enjoyment of action or action films. We always talk about checking our brains at the door and just watching explosions and going to see, you know, Nick Cage and con air or something. Uh, but I do, but I do love maybe a storyline that has a couple twists. Maybe there's a double cross. I do kind of like that, but, but generally if it's got good fight choreography and good action, I'm I'm kind of happy and sexy stars I love sexy stars
4: so you need some eye candy you can, yeah
1: yeah if you can front load your cast with eye candy and have them have them do like kung fu and stuff yeah perfect
2: oh I like it all right what about you Brad what what makes a good action film in in your opinion
3: so I think I I I graduate from the school of Joel Silver which is give me action every 15 minutes I, like that's what I want I I want it in a cadence that feels good um that you know still kind of moves the story along mm-hmm. we always talk about choreography that has a purpose and your characters are still um developing as the choreography go- is going on jose so one of my answers is this i want choreography of any kind car plane helicopter fighting gunfu whatever just give me something that's action um you know we all We all kind of grew up in in different – you all grew up in a different era than I did. I was more of a 90s guy. Um, So my filmmakers used what they saw in the 80s, uh, probably The Predator and and Die Hard and Lethal Weapon kind of being the big ones that people borrow from and kind of building up on that. Um, But, yeah, I I want that cadence of like every 10 to 15 minutes, let me see somebody – getting kicked let me see somebody getting shot let me see some shit blow up uh and i want real fire in real explosions so okay that's that also i want that real fire
2: you want the practical effects not the cgi stuff correct okay like yeah
3: i don't want people getting hurt but i want people in danger (laughs) <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> i think you both have been on record that you know uh little kids getting shot and stuff like that don't bother you right oh give me kid death and you get yeah. an extra star Not real kid app. death like just yes. that ups the ante of a story right
1: oh yeah yeah okay and even and even those scenes in 80s movies where you just know that person probably went to the hospital for five weeks after <laughs> that explosion where something hit them in the head and there was a cut and you're like they're dead. That's the person's never, never to be seen again.
2: (laughs) Okay. I I like it. So I was, I was thinking about this. I was, I, I, I wanted to kind of go, okay, what are the ingredients for me that I think almost make the perfect action film? And so I thought about Die Hard to me, Die Hard is a top five film. I think it is one of the quintessential action films.
3: I mean, some people would say Predator is better, but you know, whatever.
2: Uh, they'd be crazy, but um, <laughs> but I, I I think Predator and Die Hard share a bunch of similarities when I'm when I'm thinking. So some of these things you guys have already touched on, and I'm going to read through my list. And you you tell me where I'm thinking, but again, I'm using sort of Die Hard as the template. You, you already said this, Jose. You want an intriguing story, but you want to make sure it's not too complicated. Like I'm there to see some explosions and some face kicking. I don't need an overly complex plot. I do like the twists and turns, but keep it keep it simple, right? Um, the other thing is, I, I, you, you talk about eye candy. I think you got to get behind the hero. It's very important for you to relate to the hero in some way. Now, I'm not saying you have to like him, right, or her, but you need to understand where that person's coming from. And I think it's important if that person has a vulnerable spot, too. Uh, that can be exploited by um, your villain, right? So, and, and that leads to the next point. I think an action film sometimes is only as good as your villain. And uh, just think Die Hard. I think Die Hard has one of the greatest um, antagonists in Alan Rickman's performance that has ever been committed to screen. What happens, Shoy? Yeah. if your villain was from another planet, and, and again, yeah, that's that's super interesting. But <laughs> to me, and and we've seen these films, it's a really big hill to climb if your villain isn't memorable. Like a good villain just naturally raises the stakes. So everything could be perfect, but if your villain is just like you know plain white bread, you're you're like eh, gross. I you know I just don't want white bread. I want. I want a sourdough or something like that, you know, something with a little (laughs) zest. Um, I think you both said this, like, show me the action. Good choreography of movement coupled with proper uh, image framing and the right amount of editing. Like, you have to let your action breathe. Quick edits are the death of a good action film, I think. And then, lastly, and and this is where I think both Predator and Die Hard, uh, you know, so far I think all of these things are there. But this is this is really big. Your action has to build over the film. You can't have your first sequence outshine your final sequence. And the best action sequences, I think, continue to build in terms of scope and stakes. So I think you- I think Predator does that. Fantastic. Die Hard is fantastic. I mean, each one of those action sequences as they build, it builds up to okay, now you've got, you know, Bruce Willis jumping off of the roof of a building tied to a fire hydrant while it's exploding. Choppers are blowing up and he's swinging through, and you get a, you know, a standoff with him and out. I mean, everything about that um, last, what, 15, 20 minutes of Die Hard. It really eclipses all of the action set pieces that came before that, including throwing a bunch of C four down, you know, an elevator shaft, which was super impressive. Um, but you also have to you also have to start your movie off
3: with a solid set piece. You do, yeah, that, that sets the tone, but isn't too good, right? Like you said, it's got to build up. But if you start your film off like with the best sequence and it doesn't get any better than that, then you're let down.
2: I agree. We're looking at you,
1: Jupiter Ascending. (laughs) Wait, there
3: was a there was a good set piece in there. Is that Chicago
1: chase sequence The eight the eight minute sequence, but then after that, there was like no other action. It was just this weird, like you know, yeah, there's spurts of Fifth Element esque drama. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't come. That movie has completely left my mind. (laughs) (laughs) That was two episodes ago, Brad. Come on, yeah,
2: Brad. But this makes sense if you know Brad.
1: Um, (laughs) I've done some things and my mind doesn't work as well anymore.
2: (laughs) This is true. Okay. So here's my second question. What are the elements in, in your guys' opinion that really hurt an action film? And what do you not want to see in an action film? I'll start, I'll start with you this time, Brad.
3: I, I was thinking about this. Um, what makes a bad action film and it, it is our, our MacGuffin sometimes being, and I'm stealing this phrase from another pod. I can't remember who said it, but everything has to be 75, nine 11s. And that is like nine 11, but it's 75 of them. Yeah. Like I'm so tired of every action film being, if this doesn't work out, the world is going to end. Just give me some guys going into a bank, stealing some money. Hey, maybe Robert De Niro's there. Maybe, you know, You know, it's 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 just I'm tired of the stakes being so high that it it almost seems like I I can't imagine being in that scenario. I can imagine it being a bank heist. Um, That is really one of those things. Now it's just like man, everything has to be. Forget my stealing this phrase. Seventy five nine (laughs) elevens, and I I'm over. We're we're I think we're moving away from this type of choreography, but the camera handheld camera up close Uh, where we cut 97,000 times. That's the worst we have. I, I think one of the things that we have done is we are sadly, we don't have cool stuntmen like Jackie Chan, but like our, our stars are doing a little bit more. So you're not having to cut away from, that's obviously them not kicking or that's obviously a man. but that helps the action. But that that Jason Bourne style where it was just quick cuts and we're doing that to make it look kinetic without it actually being kinetic um, was some of the worst because <laughs> we all grew up on Jackie Chan and Shaw Brothers and Goldenheart, all that stuff, where sure it wasn't the most sophisticated stuff, But it, I mean, it looked fantastic and sure they were back pads and they hit, went through boxes and stuff, but that, give me that stuff any day of the week. Um, and then lastly, I will say I am over kind of the double cross, triple cross, (laughs) quadruple cross, uh, you know, you see someone that you don't know any of their backstory and they walk into the movie And then you're immediately like, that guy's going to double cross people. And they do. And then they die. And you're like, yep, could have seen that coming a mile away. Hey, guess what? Stay tuned. So
2: anyway. Okay. I like that list. What about you, Jose?
1: Uh, I want to second Brad's sentiment of the uh, 8711 action effect, which is watching these actors actually do the stunts. I think that's good. But uh, it's amazing. I mean, think about that. about that sequence in daredevil that's a lot like the sequence in old boy right it's just this well there's camera trickery but it looks like a sustained one camera shot of all of this action just happening in front of you as the camera moves slowly it's wonderful to see that but in terms of what doesn't work uh, i'm going to use the example of john woo's silent night which came out recently and that is bad pacing can kill your action movie in that film i think there was one or two great action sequences. And then all of this, like, maudlin emoting and stuff like that. And then literally the last 10 minutes, action breaks out. And it's kind of like, I thought this was an action movie. Why are these long stretches where nothing's happening? Nothing's blowing up. Nobody's getting a knife in the neck, you know? Um, And then, so this is weird. I don't know if this is the Hong Kong effect either, or maybe even just 80s stuff, but if the stunt performers are moving too slow or the action feel, the action sequence feels like there's not much energy that can absolutely kill a movie. Um, because you know, if you're not energized by what's flashing in front of your eyeballs, then why are you there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so for example, um, there was that film, the Russian raid, which was sort of like a remake of the raid, but it had like Russian actors in it. They seem to be moving so slowly during the choreography and I was just kind of like what is are they dancing here like what's happening like it doesn't feel real um so yeah I guess non-realistic or slow energy or action is is a killer
3: okay I Jose, guys, ho, sorry Jose yeah. brought up one thing and I it it kind of clicked a switch in my mind. I thought I was over fake Warners. I really thought I was, and then I saw Extraction Two, and that water that they did for like 21 minutes was unbelievable. Sure, they fake it a ton of times, and you can see where they fake it. But when you execute it really well, it can be really exciting. Um, I just think it's kind of turned into a gimmick where they're like, "Oh, look, we've got a, a you know a nine minute water where you know we don't cut." And you're like, "Well, absolutely, you cut." Uh, and it actually could have probably been better. If it was not a water, they're just doing it because it kind of gets their dick hard. And I'm kind of over that, but it's a technique, on the other side, right? It's, it, it is a technique, yeah. but like any technique, there's good and bad. And then of course, like extraction two, I was like, this, this is unbelievable because at the end of the sequence, I was like, wait a minute that they didn't cut the whole time. I wasn't thinking about it being a one as it was happening because I was too caught up
2: in the action. Well, I think that's the key. Like, you know yeah. when it's good, when you're not trying to dissect or even ask the question, was it one complete sequence or where mm-hmm. was the break and all the other stuff? Like, if, if you're invested in everything that's going on in the film, you kind of put the technical stuff to the side and you are just holding on to the edge of your seat, right? Yep. Yeah. And that, that's a sign of a good action film. You guys had a lot of the stuff already that was on my list, which is the heavy editing, poor camera work. You know, it's a visual medium. So let's make sure that we can understand what we're seeing, uh, pacing. I I agree with you hundred percent. You shouldn't feel like exposition gets in the way of a visceral experience. If you need a, a quote unquote rest period during the action, I think you should be building the tension or trying to increase the stakes in some way and using that downtime to really set up like, why is the next action sequence so important? Um, Another thing that is starting to annoy me a little bit is I think everybody else grew up on the Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung, like Shaw Brothers stuff, and today action choreography looks like action choreography. There there is a difference between the Hong Kong style and even what you see in Hollywood today. So when a uh, this this seems to be a very popular female superhero move. Where they run up on somebody and jump, and they wrap their legs around their head, and they swing around their body, and then throw them.
3: Oh, the Hurricane Rana!
2: Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it may have looked cool the first time we saw it, but it's segments like that that look so choreographed. Or, but,
3: or what they call bush to the face.
2: <laughs> yes, that, that is oh the God. technique, isn't it? The whirly bird. <laughs> yeah, it, it comes off as almost WWE style action to where you oh, go. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's like, wow, it's kind of cool to look at, but it is 100% looking more and more like an MGM musical. Like, I love the John Wick films, but there are segments within the John Wick films where I go, okay, this feels a little too choreographed but luckily those films do kind of follow up with what feels like nasty gritty yeah that's how a street fight would go right um and then there's one there's one thing i i I'm not a fan of the indestructible hero a.k.a. the steven Seagal syndrome i think he the vin diesel syndrome the vin diesel syndrome like i think uh i the think it, S- 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 <laughs> yeah there's there's a few <laughs> And you know what? Sometimes it works. Like, Cut above the Michael. law, I think, is is fun. Uh, Marked for Death was fun. So there, when it works, I think it has to be in a very unique situation. But these larger-than-life characters who don't get touched um, and they feel indestructible, I, I'm just not a fan of. And I'll, I'll show you an example of where they're doing it right. Don Lee and, uh, you know, the outlaw um, in the roundup films, et cetera. Here's a guy that is so physically imposing that each of these crime city films that they're putting out, they're bringing villains to the table that as big as Don Lee is. And as intimidating, he is, you still fear for his life because of these villains. And he doesn't walk out of those situations. Just unscathed. Yeah. Um, our heroes should be in danger. They should, they, you should feel like there is a chance they're going to die. Um, because again, that ups the the stakes a little bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm I really think we need a bit more. I, I got to tell you, Korea right now is where I'm finding the gems and, and the action films that I like the most. Uh, the Child being the most recent one, really interesting film. It's done by the director of I Saw the Devil. Um, Ooh, love okay. That yeah, it's, love it's that one. It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Um and it has some zaniness to it and and it gets really ultra violent um in certain spots. But cool. I, but I got to tell you um it, that that can really ruin the action film. All the things that you talked about between the pacing, the chore- the choreography that looks like choreography or the choreography you can't see because of the editing and and like the close-up camera stuff.
3: What do you think about choreography that lasts too long? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because um, I, I rewatched the raid because uh, it came out on 4K and that is exhausting. Like, I love the raid, but there are some fight scenes that are just exhausting because it's like, we've been doing this for 12 minutes. Take a <laughs> break,
1: please. Someone take a knee. Well, you I, know, it's funny you mentioned exhausting. Uh, not that Black Adam was a great film, but there it was so stuffed with action that I just was exhausted. I was like, not another... Flying around the city, like blowing stuff up, hitting each other. It happened every three minutes. It was too
3: much. Don't. don't,
1: So there's also the other. Don't compare
3: Black Adam and the
0: raid,
2: please. please (laughs) No, it's true. I'll be the first to say there. There's a couple of sequences in the raid where I I feel like it's like you. You could shave a little bit off of that. Um, I I think Tony Jaw and the Protector. I mean, that going up the steps sequence is super impressive. Uh, that they did it in one take. Again, it has all the elements of it. But but I got to tell you, some of these films, at the end of the day, it's kind of like they overstay their welcome in in these departments. And, and I, I think The Raid is an example of where they, the sequel probably more than the original, they have some amazing action sequences, but I never felt those sequences overstayed. Um, yes, they're long and they're elaborate, but I felt every punch and hit in that film and I did for the raid, the most part. But I got to tell you, towards the end in the final battle in the raid, I'm kind of like it, it should be ending a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, it's still it's still classic, right? Well, yeah. let's let's talk about uh, today's film, American Assassin, 2017. I, I don't think uh, everybody thought it, this was a uh, I don't know master class of action film when it came out. <laughs> Right, Brad? It didn't <laughs> uh, do no, so well. They, they did not. Okay. Well, not, one,
3: to, not to classic, if you would say.
2: <laughs> why don't you, why don't you take classic. us back to 2017 and how did this sucker do when it uh, hit the theaters?
3: Yeah, so we're looking at a release date of September 15th of 2017 with a reported budget of $33 million. And I think, Troy, I think this might be the closest film we've ever had to breaking even. Mm-hmm. It makes $67.2 million. So I think they might have made roughly right like- one or two million dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, released, like I said, September 17th. So opening weekend, it comes in second place with 14.8 million dollars. <laughs> and it gets uh, beat by the film that I saw with you, Troy. It's
2: oh, your yeah. favorite your favorite clown. The scary clown <laughs> movie.
3: Yeah. Yep. Number three was Mother. Oh. Mother has come <laughs> oh. back around. Guess what? We're doing Mother in like six weeks, people. We're doing it. Yeah, uh, Home Again, The Hitman's Bodyguard, Wind River, which I absolutely love. So Annabelle good. Creation, Leap, Spider-Man: Homecoming, Dunkirk, round out the top ten. Um, <clears throat> so we got a break-even film, but we have a film that uh, critics did not really enjoy. It sits at a thirty-four percent, so that's roughly one-third of critics liking this film. And 60% with the audience. Uh, so the audience liked it much better than the critics. A group of people who did not like this film is our favorite Christians over at movie guide. Oh, yes. For those who are not aware, movie guide is a Christian website that reviews films, not for its quality, but for its content. And they use a plus four to a minus four scale, a minus four being, uh, I don't know, you want to set off a nuclear bomb and plus four is you're going to heaven. Gentlemen, I'll start with our guest. Jose, where does this movie sit on
1: the Christian scale? Negative. Oh man. I want to say negative two, but I'm going to go with negative three. Okay. All right.
2: Troy sour. I'll take negative two because, you know, they beat up um other faiths and religions yeah, was, in this film. I was so. gonna
3: say, yes, they breed up those browns, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a minus two. Oh, Jose, oh. stuck to your guns. Damn, uh, overthought it. Here's their tagline. Patriotism is a higher calling than revenge. I don't know what movie they saw, but here goes. <laughs> okay. Strong moral patriotic worldview about a young man who becomes a CIA assassin turning terrorist, AKA Muslims, um, after some terrorist Muslims. murder his br- bride to be about 62 obscenities, six strong profanities and six light profanities. So we got six. Okay. Listen to this little section. This is how terrible these people are. I'm going to read it word for word. Very strong and strong violence includes images of small bloody gunshot wounds. Very strong and strong violence. Yeah. Huh. yeah okay. exactly. Yeah. Uh, man's wounded in leg torture scene where two fingernails are pulled out Ugh. and villain slices man's chest uh, with a knife and then uses a welding torch to inflict pain. I don't think that was a welding torch. I think that was a propane
2: torch. yeah, you gotta anyway. get the techni- you got get the technical stuff yeah. right if you're gonna uh, these torture
3: things. <laughs> victim has a bloody wound on his face and his left arm in a vice, while his right arm is held above with a chain. Torture victim defies his tormentor by biting his lower ear and chewing it and spitting the pieces at his tormentor. <laughs> I don't know why Tormentor. Uh is that a GI Joe guy? Troy Tormentor?
1: Uh could be. I don't. Yeah. That was yeah. a vehicle. Uh, let's hop in the Tormentor. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
4: Uh
3: let's see. Explosions, gun battles, point blank shootings, car chase, man rolls over a hood of car, man choked unconscious, yeah. people stabbed, intense martial art types re- type wrestling and fighting intense. and punching. Uh <laughs> fighting and structure shows training how to stab a man quickly. Uh, in the neck, Terrace mercifully shoot uh, ter- uh, Taurus dead. And it's implied Terrace fires his machine gun at w- wounded young woman to finish her off. That's not implied. Yeah, it's, it's pretty direct. direct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no yeah. sex. Brief image of upper female nudity in an apartment as woman wearing an open linger- uh Leg Leger uh, looks uh, at her face in the mirror, some female cleavage at beach. I mean, turn bikinis. Bikinis. And images of upper male nudity, brief alcohol use, smoking, but no drugs and uh, revenge, but rebuked along the way, especially in one scene talking about having a higher calling.
2: Minus two. Oh, can and I, I can I just ask so real remember, quick? You, you made me laugh with something. But you, you you said Muslims like moo Muslims. Yeah. Is, is is that's that how, how you your uncle would say it. Muslims?
3: Muslims. Okay. Fox right. News be telling me about all them Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um
2: Okay, cool. I got to take
3: my shoes off at the airport because of them moose lamps. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> yeah, your uncle. This, actually, you know what? American Assassin
2: might be your uncle's favorite movie. Okay. That is true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, well, that was fantastic, Brad. Once again, you you're, you're welcome. Deliver. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
3: I, I want to go over some films that you could have seen in oh, yeah, September. Yeah, yeah. Of, yep. Because there's one that I've never heard of, and I probably should have. Okay, we have It's. Uh, mother exclamation point uh the ninja uh, the the lego ninjago movie Jag battle Chan of movie? the sexes yeah. uh king'sman the uh golden circle and then this film Brad's status
4: Brad's status <laughs> I saw
3: that I was like what is that Okay F- the film follows Brad despite a good career and happy family is obsessed with the better uh fortunes of his old friends from school while escorting his son on an East Coast college uh, tour of colleges, Brad is forced to confront his friends and his feelings of failure. Man. Ooh. Autobiography. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, is, is that I, your life story? Brad? Uh, no. Is that what's happening uh, here? Maybe. <laughs> Brad's status, not great. Uh, oh. Flatliners, yes. an American made. I, can I make damn. a confession? Yeah. You love that movie. I thought this film was American made the entire time we were talking about it. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is the one with Dylan (laughs) O'Brien.
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, before we talk about the people in front of the camera, Jose, I'm going to kick it over to you. And uh, why don't you give us a a little brief description of the folks that helped bring this creation to life that uh, worked behind the scenes?
1: Didn't didn't Cruz get his globes out in American Made? I think he mooned the camera at some Ooh, point, didn't he? I, didn't I don't know. I, I, you know, I think it was the only good thing about that. Hey, I actually did like it. I, did, I like that. I, did like I like it. I did. All right. Uh, starting with director Michael Cuesta. He so he is an interesting. Is that a Q sound? Lesta? Cuesta? Cuesta? I, I don't I know. Feel, You're smarter than me. I feel like me. that's I, how you say
2: it. The, okay. the guy who says Muslims.
3: <laughs> no, your uncle's. Your uncle says Muslims.
2: Sorry, sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I believe it's Cuesta. I was uh, going to say he, Casita, but uh, whatever. Or Custa? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I believe it's Cuesta. Uh, so he's an interesting choice for this. And interesting because he has a degree in photography. He actually mentored and worked alongside famous photographer Irving Penn. Who is known for his fashion photography in Vogue, and then his portrait of artist portraits of artistic giants like Georgia O'Keeffe. He's probably best known, Questa, as one of HBO's trusted directors, having shot episodes for Six Feet Under and True Blood. He has also become kind of a bit of a TV wonder kind, having shot the pilot and several episodes for pop culture zeitgeist shows like Dexter. Homeland, Blue Bloods, Elementary, Billions, City on a Hill, and Dope Sick. The reason why he's kind of an interesting choice for this is because his first film was the incredible uh, 2001 L.I.E., which stands for Long Island Expressway. Now, at the time that this came out, it was written written and directed by Cuesta along with his brother and a friend of his. The movie stars a very young Paul Dano, acting opposite Brian Cox, as you know, an incredible actor, and the first Hannibal Lecter, I might add. But the film not only won two Independent Spirit Awards at Sundance for Cox's acting and the screenwriting, but it went on to be noticed as one of the best and most controversial films of that year. It's rated NC-17, and it follows Dano, a troubled teen who's lost his mother and is struggling with his sexual identity, and he forms a relationship with a retired Marine pedophile. So the movie was equally praised and reviled for humanizing pedophiles, but the film is actually uh, widely known as a tour de force of acting and very complicated emotions that sort of fairly balanced. It's touching. It's kind of certainly a cautionary tale. Many lauded the film for that balance without going the sort of exploitive narcissistic graphic route of, say, Larry Clark's kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so he actually followed that up with another film called 12 and holding, which is another coming of age film, which sort of straddles that line between what these kids are doing, because one of the kids is a potential murderer. He's been bullied. A young girl has a crush on Jeremy Renner, and she's practically stalking him. So he really loves to sort of mine that kind of controversial topics. And, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Relative more, uh, moral relativism or moral ambiguity. He also directed uh, Kill the Messenger with Jeremy Renner. That was about journalist Gary Webb who uncovered the uh, CIA connection with the drug trade in LA and the Iran-Contra affair. So two very other interesting notes. Cuesta shot the pilot for a show called Babylon Fields, and he actually did this twice. So this was supposed to be a zombie show that was picked up at the pilot stage for CBS. And it later, never went to series, but then NBC bought the rights, asked him to redo the pilot, and then again, never picked up to series. Wow. The other interesting thing is he directed a thriller called Telltale, which I have seen, uh, not entirely successful, but still interesting. It is about, wait for it, a man who gets a donor heart, who then inherits the memories of its former owner and goes about solving his murder. This stars Dan Stevens um, and... It's a it it's rated at a five point four on IMDB, which is essentially my sweet spot. So I like not that successful, but I kinda liked it. Yeah, that yeah. premise sounds interesting.
3: I think Ridley Scott was involved with that. I think he helped produce that film, if I'm not Oh, Telltale? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's also inspired by Edgar Allan Poe, too. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Baltimore. Um, Hey, so our writers, uh, this is based on a series of novels by Vince Flynn based around the Mitch Rapp character. Flynn unfortunately passed away from prostate cancer in 2013. There are 13 total novels featuring the Rapp character. Interestingly enough, I believe it's either the second or the third novel in this quote unquote series doesn't feature Rapp, but it does feature Rapp is featured in almost the rest of them. The character continues in novels written by Kyle Mills. Now, I wasn't the only one who questioned the choice of Cuesta as director, so it's no surprise to learn he wasn't the first choice for this. That actually was Ed Zwick, writer, director, producer, best known for his award-nominated direction in films like Glory, Legends of the Fall, The Last Samurai, Tom Cruise again, and then producing films like Shakespeare in Love, And then creating television shows with his writing-producing partner, Marshall Herskovitz. They created 30-something My So-Called Life with Jared Leto and Claire Danes, um, as well as other television shows. So they are actually credited, the two of them, with a draft of this script. A subsequent draft was also done by Michael Finch. He previously wrote the excellent Predators with an S. Uh, directed by Nimrod Antal, executive produced by Robert Rodriguez. And then he also wrote The November Man, which is excellent with Pierce Brosnan, Hitman, Agent 47, and the recent John Wick 4. When Cuesta was finally attached, a final draft was polished off by Stephen Schiff, who wrote the Adrian Line directed adaptation of Nabokov's Lolita. He also wrote the Wall Street sequel, which I think was called, like, money like, never uh, sleeps my friends that's it money never sleeps what a weird title um and he's also written the tv series ultimate rush which i don't know 57 episodes it's about like extreme sports people i've never seen that <laughs> um And The Americans, he wrote some episodes for that for FX. Mm. He's also the- The Americans is a fantastic TV show. Oh, it is fantastic. I love it. He's also the credited writer on Disney Plus's Andor, which is widely regarded as one of the best of the Disney Plus Star Wars uh, universe shows. So how many screenwriters is that total then for this film? Four, my friend. Four? Four and then the author, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's four. Um, So we're actually talking- Three drafts. (laughs) Okay. An original story and then three drafts. But those are the people that uh, effectively got the credit. Our DP is Enrique Chadiac. He's Ecuadorian. He studied film at NYU and he has shot the films, the faculty, which I love Teresa's 28 weeks later, a film called repo men plural, which I'm, which I want you guys to try to review. And hopefully I can come on. It's a, I do like that. Oddity. It's an oddity, but I loved it. Horace Whitaker, right? Yeah. Yes, and uh, oh, Liv Schreiber guy. Liev Schreiber, yeah. Uh, he also shot 127 Hours, Red 2. The Maze Runner recently shot Voyagers, weird space movie with Colin Farrell. Uh, the live-action Lady in the Tramp. Did anybody see that? I didn't even realize there was a live-action Lady in the Tramp. No. Nope. Uh, and then Transformers Rise of the Beasts. And then I just wanted to give two other shout-outs. Uh, one is our producer, Lorenzo D. Bonaventura. Um, his Production company DB Pictures produced this. Uh, I have a weird, like, second degree, third degree connection with De Bonaventura. I went to law school with somebody whose brother worked for that production company for a very long time. Um, What was that production company again? DB Pictures. Oh, DB. Okay. DB. Oh, what'd you think? What'd you think I said? Not
3: not DB, not DP. Okay. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. Different (laughs) different company. Okay. Yep. But uh, De De Bonaventura, he's one of those producers where if his name is on it, I am in the seats. Like, I think that he produces really good entertainment. He's essentially in three games here. One game is the Hasbro game because he has shepherded the Transformers and G.I. Joe to the screen. He's produced each one of those films. Um, He's also kind of in the franchise game. So he's constantly looking for something that's going to become a franchise. His first film that he produced officially was Constantine. He did Red and Red 2, uh, Retired, Extremely Dangerous with Bruce Willis. He produced one of the Maze Runner sequels. This was actually supposed to be a trilogy as well. And then strangely, he is in the Marcus Wahlberg game, meaning Marky Mark, the actor. For whatever reasons, he has produced a lot of Wahlberg. Hey, Wahlberg's bro, you want films. to produce my movie, bro? Hey, man, say <laughs> hello, say hello to, to your mom. mom. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm the guy doing his job. Who the fuck are you, bro? <laughs>
1: uh-huh. So, of course, Marcus was in the Transformers films, but De Bonaventura produced Shooter, the offshoot, te- offshoot television series, Deepwater Horizon. Um, there's another Wahlberg movie I'm missing here. Uh, but yeah, he has some weird thing. Well, with see, Martin was, Martin. Did he do Infinite's? He did do Infinite. Antoine Fuqua's Infinite. Yes, correct. Uh, So, um, And he produced Salt, which is one of my favorite movies, written by Kurt Wimmer, who also wrote Ultraviolet. Say what you will. Uh, And then the other shout-out is our second unit director is Vic Armstrong, who is a fantastic stunt coordinator. He doubled Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones, and his stunt-producing credits go to every... Practically every huge commercial blockbuster in the 80s. He also stunt coordinated Tomorrow Never Dies, which is my favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond film because it also had Michelle Yu. Yep. Anyway, so that is Behind the Camera. Awesome. Well, uh, let's talk about
2: the people in front of the camera. Surprisingly, this going to be a short conversation. If you've listened to <laughs> like 190 plus episodes of Not a Bomb, we're going to start with Dylan O'Brien. Uh, Brad, I think you and I have uh, pretty much said for the record – Back in episode 36, we love Dylan O'Brien because of Love and Monsters, right? Yes. Yeah. Correct. So I love Dylan Love
3: too. and Monsters. Love and Monsters. Say one
2: more time. Yes. So good. Uh, around this time period. So this is his filmography leading up to this. You you've already mentioned this film, Jose Deepwater Horizon. He was in that one 2016. In 2017, when he did American Assassins, he was finishing up the T V series Teen Wolf. So he was in that one. And then uh, after American Assassins, he did Maze Runner, The Death Cure. I, I didn't know this. He was the voice of Bumblebee in 2018's Bumblebee. Yep. So, I've seen
3: Bumblebee 47 times because my son was obsessed with it for about, I don't know, six months. Oh, okay. I I didn't even know that Bumblebee spoke in that movie, really. Oh, at the very beginning because then he gets yeah. his thing torn out. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Moving so, on. Yes. There you go. There's
2: Dylan. So... Uh, <laughs> I, I, we're all three fans, right? We, we think he should oh, yeah. be much bigger than he is. I, although I actually think he's doing pretty good. If you look at his filmography, he's getting lots of
1: work. So have you seen, did you watch him on Teen Wolf? No, I <laughs> not oh, okay. watching Teen Wolf. <laughs> I love that show. Of course you do, Jose. <laughs> and of course he played styles, which was a controversial decision because styles was a girl in, 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 Right? Am I wrong about this? Styles was a girl in the original Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox, but then they kind of made him. Or am I wrong about that? Was, was Styles the bully guy? No, I thought that. Mm, I don't know. His best friend. I'll have to. I'll have to Google it. But nonetheless, Dylan O'Brien. He's actually a really, really great actor. There was another film that he did, some weird time travel, something or other, that also impressed me. Um, I'm, I'm going to need to look that up because I it's. It's escaping my name, uh, my mind right now. Um, but yeah, I think he should be a bigger star than he actually is. Uh, I think I had mentioned this before. He actually got injured. Yes. Um, had yeah, a dude. very, very bad concussion. And they sort of just, on one of the Maze Runner movies, and they sort of just came out and said, oh, yeah, he's fine or whatever. And there's some rumors that they had forced him back into uh basically finishing the film after he'd been injured like that and was much more serious what did Um, he almost die yeah pretty much pretty serious come out it had come out later that like he essentially fell off something that was moving and and had a hit his head basically and was possibly in a coma um but he does have something on the horizon. There is a movie that premiered at Sundance called Pony Boy, which is supposed to be pretty magnificent. He also was an Infinite with Marcus Wahlberg. Yep. Um. And the movie I am thinking of. Give me one second. You might have to. Edit no the now. the uh, the movie flashback. Flashback. It's yeah. Flashback.
2: So the outfit is one that came out the recently outfit, yep. that we're going to talk about. I think very soon. So yep. we we definitely will do more Dylan O'Brien. It's, films
1: was that oh yeah with mark rylance yeah yes
2: yeah very very interested to talk about that one so uh another major actor which has come up several times on the show most recently i think in the flash is one mr michael keaton as stan hurley uh so i i gotta tell you i mean michael keaton we we've talked about him several times national treasure at this point in terms of (laughs) yeah um just the caliber of performances he puts out there Around this time period, in 2016, he was doing The Founder. 2017, he actually did Spider-Man Homecoming, Mm -hmm. American Assassin, and then followed that up with 2019's Dumbo. Um, A name that I'm not too familiar with, but it's Sanaa Lathan as Irene Kennedy. So I love her. Yeah, she's sort of the boss. We actually briefly talked about her way back in episode 58 because she was in another amazing action film, 1997's Drive. She played Carolyn Brody, the wife yeah. of Malik. Yeah. So she has about I thought five you minutes were screen time.
1: I thought you were going to say that amazing film was Alien versus Predator. No, no, Drive. Drive from <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was in Ali- Alien versus Predator. She's also known for, I believe it's Love and Basketball. Love and Basketball. Love yeah. and basketball. She's the one that she's Monica. That really her to fame. I mean, every everybody my
3: age had a crush on Monica. She was smoke love and basketball and was fantastic oh,
2: okay. love very that. very very amazing film uh another person it's been on the show before go back to episode 45 when we talked about john carter we have one mr taylor kitsch as ghost which there's a lot of his movies we're gonna end up talking spoiler about at some point. Alert. Spoiler,
3: yeah.
1: spoiler alert spoiler <laughs> alert
2: yeah spoiler alert ghost um, you know
1: Kitsch yeah. is another person that i think i i It's so weird. Sometimes he puts in these really fantastic performances and then other times you're like, did you go to acting school? Um, He's he's Waco
3: was absolutely amazing.
1: He's amazing on Friday night lights. Yeah. Uh, But then you've got things like, you know, wasn't all that great in savages. Some say he ruined the second season of true detective, but I didn't feel that way. Um, So yeah, it's just, he, the bang bang club. I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, it was about, like, war photographers or whatever. But like, I feel like
3: I'm the only person that ever saw this movie, but Only the Brave. I thought he was really good in Only the Brave. Yeah. Well,
1: I had to see it because Jeff uh, Bridges was in it. But, yeah, I liked Only the Brave. But, yeah. yeah, he he's weird. He's middling. You know, sometimes he's really on. Sometimes he's really
2: off. I, I got to wonder if he gets a hold of something and, and if he just is doing it for the paycheck and isn't interested, then he just gives um, what I think a lot of people make fun of, the, the Taylor Kitsch performance. Versus something he finds challenging, and then he puts like everything into it, he, re- he to me, he feels like that type of actor. He's always hot and cold, and i'm I'm wondering if it's just well he's in, he's in a property he's not interested in. great. He's just gonna do whatever it is that he does. But if he's really like got a hold of that character, I mean, the guy can act. I, I don't think yeah. people enough give him you know people yeah, give him He was enough good at
3: twenty one bridges as well yeah. like i I like that movie a little bit. I thought it was okay but he's a battleship.
1: Just kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've got Shiva Nagar as Annika. Now I don't know much about her. She has a bunch of um, shorts, television, some other films, nothing of, of a lot of notoriety, but the last name I want to mention, because again, we've talked about this gentleman quite a bit, Scott Atkins as Victor, Um, go back to episode 16 when we talked about it, man for the finale. So the year that Americans. Assassins came out, he had, I think it was either a limited release or direct to video, Savage Dog came out in twenty seventeen. It's okay. But um yeah. I think all three of us are big Scott Atkins fans. I mean, he kicks people in the face um pretty gracefully. Huge.
1: Yeah. Yet another person who is just well, I'm waiting for him to become that just shoot to the, like the Jackie Chan level. That, you know what no, I mean? Say,
3: we've been waiting for that since like 2008 i thought so, avengement I know, as so much sad.
1: as
2: much i don't know buzz as avengement got i thought oh he's gonna get picked up big time for some
1: but no nothing yeah nothing and he and you know he's taylor fit taylor kitch mm. taylor fit taylor fit for um some superhero role role and it just hasn't happened oh he did that it was called, was doctor strange. called ninja <laughs> a lackey in doctor strange yeah. where he gets killed and one other thing i wanted to say um shiva nagar gorgeous She's um, Iranian, lives mm-hmm. in Canada, um, actually is, you know, they called her, Variety called her one of 10 top Canadians to watch, which is kind of interesting. She reminded me so much of like Jamie Gertz. I was getting like star vibes from oh, like yeah. The Lost Boys. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> you, know? yeah,
2: uh,
3: you mean from Solar Babies?
1: Yeah, Solar Babies. <laughs> the Lost Boys star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in Solar Babies.
2: She wasn't, which, you know, I love. Well, of course. Yeah. You're the only two Um, production development. You, you actually touched on a lot of this, Jose. I mean, there's directors attached to this. This went back and forth. It was planned as like a, a franchise starter and they wanted to do American assassin because it was a prequel, I think. And they thought with Dylan, he could grow into this role. They could kind of use him as he ages. I thought this was interesting, though. On October 10, 2012, Chris Hemsworth was believed to have been offered $10 million to play the lead, Mitch Rapp. However, a month later, it was revealed Hemsworth had turned down the role due to scheduling issues. And then that's when uh, Dylan O'Brien came in. The other... I wonder what
3: movie that was for.
2: Oh, I don't know. Um, oh, I bet it was Thor. Was it?
3: it?
1: It probably, probably was Thor. Thor. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then the other interesting kind of what-if scenario is Bruce Willis was in talks to star as Stan Hurley, but eventually Michael Keaton came in to take on that role. And then Taylor Kitsch joined um, around 2016 as the uh, villainous operative ghost. So uh, this really, I don't want to say a troubled production because I think once they got filming, everything was fine. Mm -hmm. But it really seemed like they had a lot of hurdles to get over in order to just get to the cameras rolling. So a lot of hands changed on this one. Well, gentlemen, how about we take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to share our thoughts on 2017's American Assassin, so stay tuned.
4: Time for refreshment, refreshment. For your enjoyment, there's hot, fresh popcorn, tempting, delicious hot dogs, and so many kinds of ice cream, and of course, sparkling delicious ice-cold coca-cola for everybody at the refreshment counter now remember your favorite snack will taste especially good with world-famous ice-cold coca-cola Never fear, Pam Grier is here. A
1: black goddess
4: come to earth. Pam Grier is Friday Foster, and she's running with a heavy crowd. Yapit Kodo, Eartha Kitt, Godfrey Cambridge, Jim Backus, Thalmus Rasulala, Ted Lange, and Scatman Crothers in Friday Foster when some big money dudes in the capital got too hungry for power Friday made their plans turn sour Happy New Year, boss She's a super sister who's gonna hit D.C. like a beautiful stick of TNT Look out! When this fox shakes her tail half of Washington may end up in jail God have mercy Her name is Friday but you can dig her any day of the week Sam Greer is Friday Foster. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent.
2: And we're back, Jose. Your family, so you don't get to go first. We're gonna let Brad go first.
1: <laughs> yes,
2: go, Brad. For it. Go Brad, for it. what did you think about American Assassin? This was your pick, so it was it was yeah. my
3: pick. It's not American Made. It's American Assassin, apparently. So, yes. uh, I, I think. I mean, the film definitely makes an entrance. Uh, that opening sequence is pretty.
2: Uh, it's shocking.
3: It's shocking. Yes, yeah. it, it definitely is a is a film starter. Um, anyone who's ever been like on a, in a resort or anything like that has always thought about, Hey, if guys pull up here, uh, we're all in trouble because we're all drinking way too much and have no idea if we can defend ourselves. So it's got a good punch. Like it's got a good punch to the gut. Um, and I would say that's the most creative thing that this film does. (laughs) Everything else is you are basically going through the buffet line and picking things out of every action film you've ever seen and creating American assassin. Cause that is what it's doing. It is, it is taking every cliche. Like, again, we're seeing 75, nine 11s. We have the, the, <laughs> the, the female who comes in, who crosses our team, who as soon as she walks on the screen, you're like, well, she's got a timer above her head. She won't make it to the end of this film. Um, You know, you've got the old man who trains the uh, younger guy who only wants revenge. Um, At the very end, there's like a checkoffs listening to orders uh, moments where, you know, he finally listens to orders and he saves the day. So like, it's just, it's just taking elements of better action films and using them, which is okay. Like that, that could be an okay action film. It could be a great action film. Um, but it does a lot of things wrong first, as much as I like Dylan O'Brien, he is not right for this role. I, I don't think he's good. Like I wouldn't say he's not good. It's just, he's not believable as a guy who could literally take on Scott Atkins and beat him in a fight. Um, And that's my next problem. You have Scott Atkins in a film and he literally has one fight scene and then he's dead. And I'm like, (laughs) why,
2: why cast Scott Atkins if that's what you're going to do? Well, can, can we all agree though? So Scott Atkins is an enigma because I think he has this amazing following of fans, but I, for some reason, he just doesn't have outside of you know some directors that work with him on a, on a lot of direct-to-video stuff, he doesn't have any major players that want to use him in a leading role. Um, I, I, I think about an exchange – like the reason why Dylan O'Brien's character Mitch is picked in this film and used is because um, I think our, our boss uh, says, hey, all of these other recruits look like they're military men And you can spot him out of like the public instantly, right? But Mitch is somebody that you don't expect to be like a super badass, and he's going to sneak by versus a Scott Atkins who you can pick out of the crowd and go, Oh, that guy, that guy's like some big stoic guy. He's probably in the military, he's a marine, et cetera. I I almost feel like that's how directors or Hollywood producers see him. Like he's a great supporting character but he doesn't have the chops to lead a film. Now, we may know that's not true when you see movies like Accident Manor of uh, Benjamin. He can he can play the range. But I'm I'm wondering if that's just how everybody else who makes some of these casting choices see him.
3: Yeah, you're probably right. He's definitely one of our guys, but he's not like a normie guy.
2: Right. Yeah, true. Yeah.
3: yeah. Uh, and, and, and so like I don't want to dump on this movie too much. It just, to me, I I kind of find it pretty boring. Um, like it doesn't, it, it moves at a snail's pace. I'm sorry. Really? Like we talked about pacing in in earlier. I think the pacing is all wrong in this movie. Like we're in Rome and I feel like they do nothing to use (laughs) Rome to like, why, why are we in Rome? Like, we're doing this like globe trotting action film, right? And preface the, fir- the, the, the action film I saw before American assassin was mission Impossible: dead reckoning.
2: Well, so, okay. So <laughs> that's and a problem. I understand
3: that. I understand that like it is in a whole different stratosphere. We're talking about 250 million, not 33 million. So I understand. So I'm trying to, to, <laughs> to kind of put that away. But again, this film is like picking and choosing things out of action films, Um, and we're globe trotting, and we're really not using our location to do anything interesting. When we're in Rome, we spend more time in our little safe house place than anywhere else. Uh, I think you get like one or two scenes where it could look like Rome, Um, but I was just disappointed in pretty much every aspect of this film. Um, even like as much as I like Dylan O'Brien, I just I don't believe him as an action star of this ilk. Like he could be an action star, that's totally fine, but not this not this kind of guy. I think Taylor Kitsch would have been much better as the rap character, and then have somebody else play the villain. Also, like there could be like a like an excuse here to like actually give us some more details on some of these characters and give us a longer movie. Like we, I, I I'm okay with not having much information on the ghost character. Um, and then sidebar, I was watching this on, uh, with the subtitles on. <laughs> and like immediately when he comes on screen, the subtitles say like, you know, like ghosts. And it was like, Oh, okay. Like they pretty <laughs> much the subtitles spoil the whole thing. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, man, I, I got done with this and I was totally underwhelmed and really disappointed that it's almost two hours. And I feel like I knew nothing, uh, rap's only characterization is revenge, which I get like, I, I'm okay with some of these aspects of these films, but there's, there's really nothing here. I, I felt like literally nothing. Um, and I will probably Forget about this film tomorrow.
2: It it is it forgettable like Jupiter Jupiter Ascending forgettable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I I will so let me step that back. Okay, everything after the first like seven minutes I will forget immediately. I think I think this film comes and drop kicks you in the face, and it really has the audience. Like I I think like it has the audience in its grasp, and then pisses it all away.
2: Oh wow! Okay. That was that was harsh. All right. Whoa. Well, Jose, I I will gladly turn it over to you to follow up that uh, <laughs> scathing review of American Assassin.
1: So, yeah. I, honestly, that is the reaction I had when I first saw the film. Um, I literally was like, "O'Brien oh, is completely wrong for this. Absolutely wrong." I don't know if it's his pretty boy face or the fact that he's kind of scrawny, but I think we all know scrawny can, doesn't mean anything quite honestly. I don't like Um, the, I don't like the, the patch of chest hair that he has. I I don't like it. I don't like it. Or or the huge runway of like stomach hair as well. Like it's, it's glaring. I feel like he's struggling to grow that beard out
2: to be quite honest.
1: (laughs) Well, which is, which is why they had him grow his hair long, which I think is a terrible look for him. Because they wanted to make him look older. Um, you know, if you see him with
3: shorter hair, it's
1: like that guy is a 10 10. out of 10
3: (laughs) with the long hair. You're like, oh, you're like an eight, but you're not a 10 out of 10.
1: Well, I also meant he looks 10 years old, like with the short hair as well. Like, um, and I'm going to quote one of my favorite movies, Spice World. There is a scene (laughs) in there where the vocal coach says vocal coach says that was absolutely perfect without actually being any good. It's my favorite line from the movie. Um, So that's how I felt about this film, was that, like, you know, it was unfocused. We hardly ever know anything about rap, uh, you know, becoming a blunt instrument, becoming a spy, this and that. Um, But I... So this is weird. Like Brad, I was like, I'm never going to watch this again. Forget it, right? And then it was on Netflix. And uh, I watched it again because Scooter was like, I I want to see this. He loves Dylan O'Brien. I want to watch it again. And I'm like... She's got, and lo and behold, I don't know. Even as tropey as this story is, and as you know, predictable. Let's just say that it's very predictable in terms of you know this kid is out for revenge. He wants to know do whatever, and you know the government taps into that, and they're kind of like, you can be our weapon, you know, that kind of thing. The more I watched it, and then bought it on Blu-ray, and watched it over and over again. The more that it kind of felt like, you know, these movies like X-Men or Men in Black, a perfunctory introduction that's kind of entertaining, it's rewatchable, but the promise of the next film, or the promise that the next film will be bigger and better, you know, that's the feeling I actually got when I started rewatching this over and over. And I also think that there's little things in here that, that sort of set it apart from your sort of bland kind of predictable stuff. But I think you kind of have to dig deep and look into it. Um, And I think that the audience for this kind of film isn't going to look that deep. Right. So a couple of the things that set it off for me anyway, I feel feel, like for every, I feel attacked (laughs) for every, I mean, I feel like for every trope, there's a twist in this film that sort of sets it apart. Right. So you know, we get the beginning. It's like, it it just reminds me of Peppermint and John Woo's recent silent night, which those films showed us that, you know, if you want to take on a cartel, all you need is like YouTube, um, an MMA, you know, membership. Um, we need a membership to
2: Troy's MMA. Uh,
1: and then, and then, you know, logging hours at the gun range, and then you can take out an entire cartel. Right. But what is interesting here is we see him go through that very, that, in the first act that journey and he is not able to kill that guy. It gets taken away from him. Um, and, and I'm like, wow, what, what does that mean for this character now that we've seen his complete revenge arc it's been done. Um, and there's this amazing scene where he still wants to get his physical revenge and he's stabbing the dead body of the guy and they like pull him off. And, you know, I, it, it to me, that was kind of interesting, you know, and it's odd that they keep going back to putting that that assassins like uh, that assassin into his head or the characters keep referencing it. And it's weird. It's almost like giving him the motivation to be able to be this Avenger for the United States.
2: Well, um, I, I think they're using it. I'm, I I see where you're going with that, but I, I actually think it's uh, <laughs> it's not that smart. Because it has this, um, Michael Keaton keeps talking to him about don't let the emotions get the best of you, etc. So, I think the reason why they keep using that image of that individual that they sort of took away from him is because they know he's going to get worked up, and it just becomes this training montage of no, no, you're getting worked up. You got to be more cold and calculated.
1: I mean, I like but he your, does, but he does learn to not be emotional when he, he, he does. Catches, that's you know.
2: that's his moment. Um, but I, I like I also, your I like your take with it. I just don't know. Like I never got that out of it. I, I like your version. It's just I thought it was more simple where they're just like trying to rile them up to teach them about don't let your emotions get the most the most of you.
1: Absolutely. Um Daniel uh, son, don't let your emotions get the best oh, of you. Yeah. Young grasshopper. Um, I like that there was a woman running the show. Um, I mean, you do you do get this thing that they're connected somehow. Um I'll get into the book later because it's actually the book is not actually very relevant to the to the movie itself when you look at it but i like that there was a woman running the show i like the dynamic between him uh keaton and her and how she's like i'm your goddamn superior and there's these moments where she's just like you know what i have the pants even though i'm wearing a skirt isn't she y'all. just
3: amanda waller
1: uh, uh Viola davis essentially possibly but what i liked about it is that she is kind of like the Keaton character. When Rap is like, "We can't leave him alone. We can't leave him out there like that." When he gets kidnapped, she's like, "No, nope, it's about the nuke, and you're going home. Forget about it." Right? I, I kind of like that. That but, about but a she admits character. she
2: has a relationship with that Stan character, not not a relationship like a love she interest or anything, but it's family. family.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I also kind of like the intrigue here. The it's weird. The twist seems awkward because the woman is sort of revealed to be maybe working for the other side, but then he ends up breaking her out of custody and trying to save Michael Keaton. But I enjoyed the fact that, you know, there was this geopolitical play that other countries could be helping us at the same time, but have their own agenda. I, I, they kind of snuck that in there and it's not completely obvious, Um Anyway, to me, anyway. Um, They even do a little ribbing about how, you know, the U.S. government isn't perfect, you know? Uh, Kitsch's character is like, oh, if the U.S. is doing it, it's got to be good, right? No, you create monsters. Um, But they don't really flesh out the ghost character, but what's there, especially that torture scene with him and Keaton, I think is, 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 you know, very intense and very fired up. And that's the other thing, too. I thought the fights were really, really good. I think that... Some fights spring to life with kind of a, an intensity or brutality that just, uh, again sets it apart from other action films. Like when I watch some of these scenes, like I cringe sometimes. Oh, I, the hotel is fight w- is
2: ugly. Yeah, that hotel fight I think is actually pretty fantastic. When she stabs the guy's foot and yes. they're going at it, and then she stomps on that knife so it goes deeper. I about fell out oh, yeah. of my seat because um, oh, I felt yeah. that. Yeah,
1: um, there's that. He ends up choking, choking the girl and slamming her into like the, the bathtub. I'm like, ugh! I'm like clutching my pearls. The torture sequence with um, Keaton, who, by the way, in that scene, he is it, I mean, it's literally the you want to get nuts. Let's get nuts like that all comes out. He's uh, I mean, when I first saw this, I was like, Keaton is fantastic. I want to see more of Keaton like this. Um the near zero gravity brawl brawl on the speeding boat with like the choppy water. I hadn't seen that before. I loved that. I thought it was great. Every hit when they're flying up into the ceiling and stuff is just kind of crazy. Um, And then, you know, I think if you dig a little deeper, I like the dynamic of the, of the Keaton character, the rap character and the ghost character, right? They're basically the same personality, but they're in different stages, you know, like Keaton, you have to believe was a lot like ghost or rap, but now he's constrained by government procedure and following procedure and direct orders. So which we is something... Exactly. Or, or just even following orders, which is something rap can't do. And obviously ghost didn't do it because he went rogue and he used his skills against him. Um, and then it's kind of like, you know, which trainees gonna win out the new trainee or the one who's been trained before. And, um, I just, I don't know. I, I'm sad there isn't going to be another Mitch Rapp entry. And I have come around to accepting Dylan O'Brien as him. Um, I still don't think they've fleshed out the character much. I thought this was kind of like a Jack Reacher situation where he's described one way in the book and it's different on the screen. He is actually 23 years old in the book. Um, And I will tell you, this movie is drastically different from the American Assassin novel. Um, I bought it last friday and sped read through it um it, it's completely different like his girlfriend died in the pan am flight lockerbie incident where they shot it down the the flight she was she was there with a bunch of syracuse um university people uh she, you know irene kennedy um her father was best friends with the hurley character Hurley was responsible for him dying in an embassy, but they kept that under wraps, and he sort of took her on like a daughter, like a surrogate daughter. So things are deepened in, in the novel, but it's a completely different story. You can see little parts of it. Um, so this was just hand created to create the franchise. Um, but yeah, I just the, those little things set it apart. I've seen the film like fifteen times. I I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. I mean. Another really intense scene is that scene where, you know, he thinks he's going to take on Keaton and Keaton, like, wraps this, like, mouse cord around him and, like, drags him across the table and then just, like, chokes him out. It's amazing. And you would think that, like, the rap character would just go insane, but then he accepts it and he's like, fine, I'll see you at 4.30, you know? Like, you fly out at 5, great, I'll see you at 4.30. I, I don't know. It just... I don't know. I love it. There, there's
2: definitely a father-son dynamic that they're trying to establish there between those yeah. two. Um, if
1: not fleshed out properly, but yeah. Y-
2: yeah, mentorship. I So it, if I were listing all of the things that we talked about sort of at the beginning of this episode, of like, hey, what, what do I think makes a good action film? I think this has some of those elements in there. So not an overcomplicated plot, believe it or not this is a movie about revenge and it's not just Mitch's revenge story, but you have, um, three characters, uh, ghost, um, rap, and then, uh, Stan Hurley's character. They all want revenge for something, but then yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> they're moving through a world where this country wants revenge against this country for what it did to its people, et cetera. I mean, this, this, every plot detail is built around somebody else's revenge to somebody else, more or less. Um, even our, uh, I guess secret agent who ends up kind of turning on our characters or working for the other side. I think there's an element where her family died and she has a revenge. Like everybody's just
1: filled with her handler and her handler gets killed. Yeah. So So now she has like, yeah, yeah,
2: but it's not overly complicated. It's just a bunch of people pissed off and they want revenge. Um, and it escalates up to the geopolitical level. You know, countries want revenge for what the other country did. Uh, Brad, you, you said it had a snail's pace. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you were following the Joel Silver book of action films, you would find that this one would probably get a B plus, if not an A minus. Because that every 15-minute increment, you're getting some type of action sequence And I actually think they're pretty decent. Now, are they borrowing from everything that came before it? Absolutely. So now you can
3: see John Wick all over this film. uh,
2: I I think you can see James Bond like all over this film. I think you can see Born born Identity, all of it. Right.
3: I I had a note. that called this Baby's First Born, and that might be a little mean.
4: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I love that though.
2: I I like that, but it's. I think it's accurate. Um, I think it's done a little bit better, choreography wise, than the Born films. Um, because it it doesn't do the shaky cam close uh, framing um, fight sequences. Like, geography-wise, you know what's going on. Um, I think it fits the bill of having a protagonist that you can kind of understand or get behind. And I do like the the Mitch-Stan relationship. It is a very twisted father-son dynamic. So it sort of hits that checkbox. And here's the other thing. I, I actually think it does a really good job of the action builds into something bigger and better. So the stakes are growing and you have an interesting showdown between our protagonist and antagonist on the boat and to Jose Jose's um, comment about this sort of every time they hit a wave and then you get some like zero gravity and they're both getting boxed around in this, in this cabin. I hadn't seen that before and I, I thought it was really good. And then you get the, the explosion, which, you know, I don't know if from a physics standpoint, that's actually how it would work, but I like the fact there's a little bit of collateral damage there. And, you know, um, I, I, I do think the pacing fits that Joel silver methodology of every 15 minutes or so. And the action sequences grow. Um, and you're right, Brad. I mean, it has a, it has a fantastic opening, but from there, I think it maintains it, um, I like the Mitch versus Victor. So basically, Dylan versus uh, Scott Atkins. Um, that's great choreography and editing. And I actually, through that sequence, believe the little guy is going to take down somebody like Scott Atkins because he kind of cheats to a certain degree by grabbing the blade and all that other stuff, which has an interesting payoff at the end. Um, it's not a, I guarantee it's not a call out to this film, but I got this vibe from it. But the avoiding the dogs felt very Remo Williams, um, just yeah. not done for comedic effects. I know you don't like that film, Brad. I yeah. I love it. Um, but that leads to a great sequence in an apartment. Now here, the editing, I do think the editing could have been a little bit better because they do too many quick edits, but it's still not terrible. It's it's just it's competent, right? It's, re, it's done really well. Yeah. Um, Mitch and Shiva escaping from the captors in the hotel room, I think is fantastic. And, and I already mentioned that knife stomping scene just, <laughs> Ooh, it gave me chills. And she was wearing heels. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like that Mitch just goes back and gets a car and runs over three guys. <laughs> and gets a
1: st- oh, I was just going to mention that too. How graphic was that? It was. Yeah. Like, one guy gets crunched on the sides. One guy flies through the windshield and ends up in the backseat. And then another guy, you literally underneath. see him get crunched underneath with his face. It's like, yeah, like I said, there's this brutality to some of these sequences that make it kind of like, wow, that was kind of cool.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> it, I, I I like it. And, it. and again, it's building up to it. Now, for me, where it creates some problems, if I were going back to that checklist, is we talked a little bit about the editing. I think some of the hand-to-hand sequences, they, they cut too quick, and I'm thinking about that apartment sequence. That's the only one that I kind of have a problem with. It still looks good, but they could have let that choreography breathe a little bit um, and just let a couple of more beats go before they did the edit. But thankfully, it's not the sort of close-up, shaky, Born identity stuff. And I I don't have a problem with Dylan in this film. I actually I like him in this role. Taylor Kitsch is just an okay, bad guy. Um, He either needs to have a more interesting backstory or he needs to chew up scenery the way Michael Keaton is in some of those sequences. Like I think Michael Keaton is chewing up scenery when it really should be Taylor Kitsch. Um, Yeah. I, I, or he's matching to some degree, Michael Keaton's energy or craziness, but I think Taylor Kitsch really comes off in this film as a sort of direct-to-video antagonist or bad guy. Um, he really
1: only has that one scene, though, to play uh, where he's torturing Keaton. There, There's really not much. I mean, that weird, he needed, you know, the nuclear bomb heist, you know, whatever. It's,
2: yeah, and, yeah, and that whole speech and, you know, seeing all the scars on his back uh, just kind of falls flat uh, because you you learn more about Ghost through Michael Keaton. And his boss's reaction and talking about what happened to him, but you needed you needed uh, some more psychopathic moments with Taylor Kitsch. Um, he needed one or two more scenes, yes, like that. Yeah, yeah. I I think that would have made him a more interesting villain, because th- this is a great example of your movie has to work really hard now in these other areas because you don't have a good enough villain. And so I, I can totally see where Brad's coming um, from and saying, yeah, it's pretty pedestrian and I'm, it's pretty forgettable. And I, I, think, I think it does everything right. But in this type of film, when you don't have a really solid villain um, to kind of shake your fist at and go, oh man, I hope they get you, then the rest of the stuff has to be like the best stuff you've ever seen. If you're gonna have just a lackluster villain, then everything else has to be top-notch. I don't think everything else is top-notch. I think it's really good. And what ends up happening is that really good stuff against sort of a lackluster villain, for some people, will get that meh reaction. But I'm not exactly in your camp, Jose, where I'm like, oh my God, I love it, (laughs) da-da-da. I I really like this film. Um, I think it's a really good action film but it's not the best to come out of like the 2017, 16s, or anything around there. But I, 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 I really liked it. I would have liked to have seen them do more with these characters, especially sort of the Mitch Rapp and the, and the stand character. I would love to see where those two go on sort of their next mission. Um, yeah. But to me, this yeah. is, <laughs> this is kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's it, it extraction is what came out of this type of film. Like, yeah. Extraction, is so good on all those other elements. I don't remember the villains in extraction, but everything else in extraction was so good. I don't have to remember the villains. Like that's what this movie should have been. Um, but I still enjoyed it. I, I had I had a lot of fun with it.
1: You know, it's interesting. Months prior, uh, we got Atomic Blonde, actually that year. Yeah. Um, and then we also got, I think, like Fate of the Furious and some other action films too. So I don't know if it was like a release thing, you know? I mean, you guys talk about it sometimes. Had this been released at some different time, would it be successful? Um, I don't know. Who knows? But I'm just, I'm kind of sad. Like, I don't know. I'm hoping maybe Dylan O'Brien decides, hey, let's do a Netflix show, right? There's a show on Netflix right now, The Night Agent, which just reminds me so much of this in some ways. I was like, geez, they could have a, they could have a Mitch Rapp TV show. I, I almost, you know? yeah, I I don't
2: know if it's the screenplay, but I almost think like you needed an Antoine Fuqua or you needed a better director for this thing, to be quite mm-hmm. honest.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think, I think this- so. So again, Questa, odd choice because he's not, he's not an action director. He's definitely more emotional, definitely more, you know, thinking, feeling. There's not a lot of thinking, feeling here. Do you think he was cheap and that's why they got him? Oh sure. I, I don't well, I mean, if you look at the films De Bonaventura does, I mean, he, you know, he's kind of like the Jurassic Park guy, you know, no expense spared. But um, you know, unfortunately, this is a CBS films uh production. And I think before this film, the movies that they had released, one of the first ones was like Jennifer Lopez and Alex O'Loughlin was like a romantic thing that bombed. They did another one that bombed and they actually had to delay production on this because they were like, ah, shit, we don't have enough
2: money. No. Yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah, this, this feels like a, this feels like a $30 million action film and I'm sure (laughs) that's what you got for with that director. But again, to me, if, if it, if there's anything wrong with this film, it's the, you needed to do something else with that villain. Maybe Taylor Kitsch yeah. was the right role person for that role, but you needed to give him something else to make him more menacing. Um, and everything else in this film is competently done. But okay, if if you're gonna be left with a Taylor Kitsch villain role like this, then you need an Antoine Fuqua to come in here and just amp everything else up in this film.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, if we're making if we're making comparisons to like superhero films, MCU you know movies or whatever, like the Kitsch character is essentially like. The Winter Soldier in uh, when they first introduced him, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know who he is. He's this sort of like uh, you know assassin, cutthroat assassin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But th- whereas they did a lot with the Winter Soldier in that first film, they don't do a lot with Ghost here, and, and and that hurts it a little bit. But the physicality, at least, is there when they when they have that fight. What's the? I mean, what's his motivation? Like. It's revenge. It's total I, yeah. revenge. He yeah. wanted. He wanted to blow up the U.S. for basically, because because Hurley had taken him into the program and turned him into a monster, and he was like, and, you know what? You're not going to do this him. to anybody else. Yeah, you're not going to do this to anybody else. So yeah. he just he was striking out. I mean that that
2: that is. So he's I, a crybaby. He's a crybaby. Okay. I mean, every like I said, Great. I think it's interesting when you watch this big film, bad
3: villain. He's the change his diaper. Great.
2: Yeah. Big bad crybaby. It is. But I mean, (laughs) with a nuclear bomb. (laughs) Everybody has a revenge element into it. Again, it's a simple plot, but I guess the complexity comes from the fact that everybody has a revenge element, which I I think works. I I do enjoy it. It's just they need to give him, you know, a little bit more meat to chew. Um, Yeah. But I I think Michael Keaton's the bright spot out of this entire. Like, he is the best thing about this film, in my opinion. Yeah. He's
1: pretty fantastic.
2: (laughs) He's amazing. Um, we were talking about this before we started. I, I am in this place right now where you will watch a film and if it's, if it's in Rome, Florence, Venice, I'm like, okay, I I'm distracted for, I don't know if you guys get this where you go to a place and then you see that place show up in the film. And if you've been at that spot, all of a sudden it takes you out for a second Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if you remember the sequence. I think it's when um, Stan goes to see the handler and they're standing on a roof. And you get this fantastic backdrop of Rome, okay? And to the left, you see this building, this huge building with all these statues on the top, etc. That is the Altare de, della Patria, also known as um, Il Vittorino. And locals call it the wedding cake, if you if you look it up, <laughs> because of the way the architecture is. But if you're looking at that screen, and if you go to the left down that street, you run right into the Colosseum, like down the road. Hmm. I will say this. This film, you know when they're in the studio versus when they're in Rome. And if you've been to Rome, it's jarring. Like that is, <laughs> but I don't think your average viewer, unless they actually go to Rome and they go to these places, et cetera, and they see like the inside of it. I don't think anybody would pick up on it, but that is one thing um, that kind of took me out is like, oh yes, I know that spot in Rome. I, I know exactly what hotel or all these other things, but then when they do something studio wise or when it sort of um, takes you out of that element, it feels a little jarring um, once you visited that place, but uh, I, you
1: yeah. know, I felt that way with this movie. Just, just like it'd be like, oh, they're on location; it's all beautiful. And then they go into this place, and it's clearly a st- apartment constructed in a studio. There's a uh, you mentioned that hotel fight scene. There's that bad green screen. The window gets shot, and you're like, that's so fake back there. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
2: but that hotel's the gorgeous.
3: Thirty three million dollars is showing.
2: Yeah, I mean the the exteriors. I think they nail in... Um I, I don't know I it, it I do appreciate films that take advantage of the environments that they're in. I love the globe trotting spy film especially when they do it right I think Mission Impossible is a great example in in yeah. the James Bond franchise where it's almost like watching a travel log with action in it um yeah, I just wish they hadn't cheaped out on some of the things in here when it comes to that
1: well apparently the Italians are so nice you can easily steal a car from them. <laughs> Uh, where he does that ploy where he pretends to get hit by the car and the guy's like, oh, and he's like, and then he steals the Alfa Romeo, which then he plows over the three mobsters.
2: With. I'll say this, the if you visit Rome and you're walking around that city, like, nobody's slowing down. If they hit you, they keep going because they've got some place to go and you're stupid American or whatever, forget nice. it. So, that's totally unbelievable. Like, that was the scariest thing about going to Rome. It wasn't, pickpocketers or anything else. It was like their driving driving was crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that Il Vittorino Vittori Vittoriano, Il Vittoriano, which I think, um, God, is that the, the Victorian? Ah, I, mm. I need to go back and practice some more, but it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous building, but everybody refers to it. Uh, lo, the locals is the wedding cake. Um, what else do you have about this one? Jose or Brad?
3: I don't have, but like, like, again, one of my notes was just baby's first born. And I think to me, that's what this is. It's like, oh, yeah.
2: Okay.
1: The tag was also, I mean, obviously the, the tag is a little bit of a teaser potentially for like a second movie. But then you also have to wonder, is rap going to go the ghost route, right? Because he's been told, lay low, don't do anything, what have you. And then he's obviously disobeying an order by going out and uh, potentially assassinating this person who's become the next president of Iran or something like that. And I don't know. It was it's an I'm interesting I'm sorry you're ending. not getting I'm,
3: that close to the president of Iran. I Well, but yeah.
1: But he did.
2: He was in the elevator. But he did.
3: He was in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, Brad. It's also a okay.
2: <laughs> documentary. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. It happened. I'll start with you, Jose. Uh, interesting conversation about 2017's American Assassin. Where do you land on this thing? Is it a bomb or
1: is it not a bomb? Not a bomb. Uh, I I don't know. I feel like I misunderstood the film the first time seeing it. I can understand how Brad found it to be predictable. Um, and I, my re-inspection of it. Uh, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Your podcast is literally about that. It's literally about watching a movie, which the critics hate or something, and then revisiting it and then finding out, you know what, maybe it's not so bad. So I I found the things in it that don't make it a bomb. So it's not a bomb. Awesome. Jose understood the assignment. Okay, Brad, mm-hmm. how about you?
3: Yeah, I found this thing to be super generic, super boring, super uninspired. Un- 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 uh, I am going to say giant bomb for me oh
2: brad's calling it the always save of spy hardcore films right oh
3: yeah it's the it's the walmart brands all right um <laughs> i'm i
2: love you brad i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to side with why Jose spend on this five
3: dollars when you can spend two dollars and 75 cents <laughs> why have mission impossible when you can have american assassin hey i
2: need them both i need mission impossible and i, I need american assassin so no, i yes, Wait,
1: but no. that's that's like comparing an alfa romeo to like Hyundai. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree. I agree,
2: and I, I think this is good. Look, I, and and maybe it's a comparison too. So, Brad, you said you watched a Mission Impossible film before you watched this one. Like one of the films that I had watched, I think before watching this was a old Michael Dudikoff, Steve James film called "Is It Avenging Force," um, mm. where they're getting yeah, hunted yeah, yeah. in the swamp or something. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, but then when I watch this one, I'm like, okay, this is this is a more uh, this is the glamour shots version of a Michael Dudikoff film. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I think, love that. I think there's more to it. Uh, and I, 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 Avenging Force was okay, but I, I I would watch this one 10 times over. Watching that one again, if I'm going to watch, you know, Michael Dudikoff and Steve James, it's probably American Ninja. But um see Captain Matt? Uh,
1: what was it, Matt Hunter? Isn't he Matt Hunter? In, something like uh, Avenging that. Avenging Force. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt saving Hunter. his daughter. That a sh- oh no, Matt Houston. Sorry. Yeah. Captain <laughs> milf Hunter.
2: No, I, oh, I that's a different movie brand. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say it's not a bomb. I I had fun revisiting this thing. I haven't watched it a gazillion times like Jose, but I I will definitely watch it again. Um, I'm a little sad. There's no sequel, but we've got extraction and tons of other super hardcore spy films and hopefully more mission impossibles to gravitate to.
1: And actually to, to return back to that about the wonders and extraction, etc. Yeah. Um, that is also the 8711 effect. So 8711 action design, uh, their stunt coordinators, their action coordinators. One of them is Sam Hargrave. He directed extraction one and two. He was the stunt coordinator for atomic blonde. Uh, he worked with 8711 on, um, I can't remember which one it was. I think it's civil war. they designed the action scenes Mm -hmm. in that as well. So, um, you know, good, bad, or in between 87 is responsible for those winners. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Um,
2: we have some feedback, Brad, you ready for this? Oh, we do. We do. We have a lot of feedback. So I'm going to start, uh, your co-host, your new co-host, Jose wrote us, uh, a nice little email, oh. um, Alex, he said, Hey guys, just got done listening to your clue chat and was thinking about gimmicks that get people into the theaters. I finally got around to watching mission impossible dead reckoning and was thinking Tom Cruise' stunts could definitely be in that category I kind of agree with that we see him hanging onto the side of a plane or jumping that dirt bike off the cliff and think I gotta see that with that being said what is your favorite Tom Cruise stunt uh Ooh. I'm gonna start. Ooh, I have one I'm gonna go with you Brad what do you got
3: uh it is giving millions of dollars to a fake
1: religion whoa <laughs> yes. oh. I concur fabulous. Scientology works. It's not a
2: stunt. It's, it's life altering. Come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, wow. that was well played. Brad it Was well played. Brad wins. Yes. Uh, okay. Based on the things that he did within the mission impossible universe, maybe outside of that, do you have a favorite Tom Cruise stunt?
3: I mean, he he kind of mentioned it, but man, when he's hanging out the side of that plane
2: that's, uh, that's game it takes impressive. off,
3: it's pretty incredible because okay. you see how they did it. I mean, he's got the wire, but I would not. You, you there's put a not wire much to that thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, if I was plane, doing I that thing, do they would have me duct taped to the side of that plane. Like it would. <laughs> like, ah. I mean, the plane took off. Like I he's to the. I mean, what I mean, those planes are like. They're military style plane, so they don't go. To, but heaven forbid something happened to that plane and it just crashes, yeah. and you're hanging out the side of it. Like, no, no, no.
2: <laughs> okay. What about you, Jose? I, you gotta, you gotta. You favorite. know,
1: I have to. T- I have to tell you that. Um, I know it's supposed to be a stunt, but I love that opening fight sequence. Well, wait a minute. Is it opening? It's not. It comes several minutes into Rogue Nation where. You're not quite sure what's happening. He's barefoot and shirtless. He's tied up. Rebecca Ferguson comes in. I love that fight scene. I've probably seen that fight scene like a hundred million times. But for me, I'm going to say I think my favorite stunt is the fourth film, Ghost Protocol, swinging from the Burj Khalifa across all of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to hear the uh, Brad brad bird commentary and for him to be like yeah that's really tom hanging out there we put him up and i'm like no no even though i'm not afraid of heights and scooters definitely afraid of heights um you, you just have to admire his gumption for hanging out there and actually trying to do that the, yeah the so that's my insurance
3: favorite. <laughs> yeah but the insurance on these films has to be astronomical just yeah uh.
1: Well, and strangely, he kind of did a similar stunt in Mission Impossible Three, right? But that was—I feel like that was more green screeny. This one, they did it for real, and he—he one upped himself. (laughs) Like, come on! So I'm gonna, I'm
2: gonna, I'm gonna cheat and get two because I, yes, (laughs) I am.
3: No ties. Two number ones. I'm the the host. I get two.
2: Yeah. So, (laughs) but this one everybody forgets about. Like, I want to mention this one. I think I like my second pick better, but. The first time I saw this, it blew my mind. And there's like, there's no way he really did this. But then he really did this. And it goes all the way back to Mission Impossible 2 when he's rock climbing. I think it's in Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, he yeah. is hanging off the side and just kind of turns around. That's him. No, No harness, nothing. That's him actually rock climbing, hanging off that thing. And every time I still see that sequence, it takes my breath away. So I, w-
3: I would actually- yeah, And then like, hell yeah, I'm in for a John Wu esque John Woo film. Here we go.
2: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that's how you start a film. I thought that was super impressive. He, he, he does these amazing stunts like that, hanging off something, and you're like, holy cow.
3: Because doesn't he turn to camera and yeah. then like, the song kicks in? Yep. Yep. Oh, God. John Woo fucking- Fox in that movie, man. It's so great. The, but this okay. guy fucks. So that's my favorite. <laughs> like, did I just say John? Woo <laughs> yeah, he did. Fucking fucks. In that movie.
2: You did. Fucks. <laughs> um, that's my favorite stunt, but I, I want to, I do want to mention this. I, it's, I think it's my favorite technical story about Tom Cruise. So it is, I think it was in mission, mission, impossible fallout, the helicopter chase sequence. So it's super impressive that he's flying that helicopter. But if you watch the behind the scenes, he has to fly that helicopter plus manage the camera in that as well. So yeah. Mission Impossible 2 has my favorite stunt, but my favorite Tom Cruise, like, oh my God, how how do you do that kind of thing? Is him flying that helicopter in that manner while also making sure that the camera is getting everything. As well, and and if you hear the commentary, you see behind the scenes. I mean, he's he's operating that camera as much as he's operating the helicopter. That's ridiculous.
1: Unsubmit professional.
2: Yeah. Um. We have some more feedback. And Scientologist. And Scientologist. (laughs) It works. Scientology kept him alive. Give me that money. Yeah. So this one's from another Alex. Alex H. He says, "I'll preface this with I love Clue. The humor always hits for me. Even the more subdued performances fit the characters. If I had my way, it would not be a bomb." However, I completely understand when it doesn't click for people. They tried to have a film with mass appeal, but it ended up being a very niche product in the end. I always recommend that people watch and decide for themselves. It's the same with Scott Pilgrim, one of my all-time favorites, but I completely get why it bombed and that it's really not for everybody, but it's still a good one to experience and draw your own conclusion. So you were all right in your assessment of Clue. There you go. One of
3: those films is a masterpiece the other one is a snooze fest. Uh,
2: no. The other
1: one is Clue. <laughs> yeah, the, the
2: other one is Clue. I, th- I think they're you both th- good, Brad. Mm. Yeah.
1: So my thing about my thing about Clue is is I really love the wordplay of it, the literalness of the dialogue and the wordplay, and just the the Farsi physical comedy. I, um, uh, as you guys know, I was in a shadow cast of yeah. Clue. One of the one of the first nationwide and it might actually come back. I'm not sure. Um, but I played all the dead people, which is a lot more difficult than you think. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, one more piece. Oh, I actually, oh. another thing yep. you guys were talking about gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to need to research this cause I cannot remember what it was called, but there was a gimmick around a movie that, that this company produced and you would basically bid eBay style for a role on this. So anybody who had been cast basically paid money to win an auction. That money went, um, went into the film itself. And then that's how they were cast. And of course it never got released. And it also never got finished because why set that precedent, right? Go on eBay and win a role in a movie. It's ridiculous. Well, they do that on
2: Kickstarter. Actually, Cynthia Rothrock is doing like a martial arts Western. And one of no. the pledge levels, if oh. you paid enough, you could go and like get beat up by her. Be an her extra. In, in oh, the extra well, there you or go. Yeah,
1: I I'd do uh, it. But, th- yeah. but this was a whole movie based on it. I met somebody in Baltimore, and he had like a sugar daddy who bought him the role, basically. And I was like, <laughs> mm, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> anyway. I, that is a good gimmick. All right, I got another one from
2: uh our good friend Kevin over at Raiders of the Podcast, and this is on Clue. Yay, uh, he says, "I always thought most people viewed it as a beloved bit of wackiness. I rate it as a decent seven. So there you go, little little feedback. Seven is
1: nothing to scoff at.
2: I agree. We we <laughs> have one, we have one more special piece <laughs> of feedback, and and Jose, it has to do with you as well. So our good friend Uh-oh. Randy um, submitted some more audio, so we're gonna." We're gonna do another Randy's
1: yeah, Randy's Reflections World. Yeah. Is this another experience where I yelled at the movie audience? Oh
2: I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um so here we go. Uh, Randy's Reflections. And now it's time for Randy's Reflections.
0: Saw another shitty movie with Jose. Thought I'd tell you guys about it. There's this guy. He's like a flunky. He's in Peru and he's working for this like evil scientist who's got like Purdue or Pfizer money because she's out there trying to rip the natural stuff out of the jungle and monetize it or something. So she's like, "Yoinks! I got this super cool spider!" And he's like, "No, you don't." He shoots everyone dead and takes the spider. You know, like because it should stay in the country because you know Peru. Anyhow, uh, flash forward, he's a real super boss and everything's going really well for him. And he has a bad dream about these street chicks that come up in the future, because his beard is gray. They slap the shit out of him and murder him. And he's like, well, that's not gonna happen because boss is his boss does. So he starts about like using his money and his wiles to hunt them down while they're in New York City. So he goes there and he's the one dude who's got like a Spider-Man costume, but it's kind of budget because he ain't got no shoes which I'll let you guys percolate on the thought of that. I mean, that's heroic or, or disgusting or something. Anyhow, every time he closes in on these three murderous tramps, the, uh, this other chick shows up, monkey wrenches the whole deal, and serially, vehicularly manslaughters him. I mean, she just keeps driving out of all kinds of strange places and right on top of him he almost gets them in a diner because the three of them are like dancing on these poor bastards table in like a corner and that's three chicks on one diner table and I don't know about you guys but I think that the structural integrity of diner furniture is dicey at best and you think he would just have to wait and then they'd all break their ankles or necks but you know as with the whole Marvel universe rather than just getting a gun and speeding this up you know he makes a real dramatic entrance and then gets you know driven over again because he hasn't figured out like this chick has his number and really wants his ass dead so he uses his like Gwyneth Paltrow chick to like hunt them down and he finally finds them in this in this uh like giant warehouse where they've booby trapped the whole thing against him and he keeps trying and he's doing all those cool spider-man jumps but then they drop a fucking pepsi sign on him and squish him fucking dead why did i watch this movie
2: Well, Jose, uh, I don't I don't think he liked Madame Webb, if that's the movie uh, oh, that you guys man. went to see.
1: <laughs> hey, re- we, I mean, look. You're
2: reviewing that this week, right?
1: We are. Okay. We are reviewing that. Um, uh, the episode is in the can. I'm just still trying to edit it. But I did watch, <laughs> I did see Madame Webb with Randy. And, um, you know, of course, the lights come up and I'm like, oh, I loved it. And he's like, of course you did. Of course you did. I I have,
2: I have been to the movies. Uh, I think Brad's experiences too. Um, you are in one extreme of 99% of the stuff you do love. And Randy's on the other extreme where he, he will, he can take down a movie in in a, in a very Randy fashion. And when those two worlds collide and you guys are on the opposite ends of an opinion, it is just glorious. I, I, I love that. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things. Um, (laughs) brad if somebody wants to i don't know send in uh you know their their favorite bombs that they want us to talk about or maybe they want to tell us what they like in their action films or maybe what really annoys them in bad action films because i would love to hear everybody's opinion on that how do they get a hold of us
3: sure that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com or you can head over to not a bomb podcast hit the contact us button and contact us there or facebook instagram and x yeah i got it right um yeah and be patient with the website i am redesigning some of the front end stuff and uh yeah it's taking me a little while because uh our, our our hosting service decided to upgrade a bunch of stuff it broke literally everything on our front page so
2: i'm, fi- <laughs> I'm fixing it. Yeah. yeah and it's not our day job and we get to it when we get to it right <laughs> yeah yeah at least the episodes are getting out so that's good yeah sure uh next week i'm getting out my 20 sided dice brad's my pick we're gonna have some yes. fun, yeah. Do you do you want
3: to say? I usually say
2: it, but I don't want. No, to no, like no. Go it. ahead, go ahead. I'm excited about next week. We're in, we're yeah. Gonna,
3: it's yeah. gonna be 1981's dark fantasy film, Dragon Slayer.
2: Yes, so excited. We're gonna well, talk. I thought it was gonna be Slayer the Dragons. <laughs> no, little classic 80s sword and sorcery. It's my wheelhouse right there, man. Love um, that
1: movie, Peter McNichol. And Pretty and fantastic. if
2: I'm I'm telling you, if the stars align. We're hoping. We're trying to put this got, together. Got some stuff going. Let's just say it's going to be very chaotic, but sort of like chaotic neutral. Um, mm-hmm. it's gonna be fun though.
3: We might need a DM for that episode, Troy. Ooh,
2: <laughs> I'm gonna to have to put on my wizard cloak and get my dungeon Ooh. master screen out. Uh yeah, that's gonna be fun. Jose, I you wanna yes. talk about uh what's going on over your show?
1: Yeah. So uh, as, as we had mentioned, Alex is co-hosting the show. Now uh, it's the two of us taking on uh, theatrical films. Our Madam web episode will be coming out. Holy, uh, holy shit. That movie. And, <laughs> and additionally, yes, you, this is yet again where my true Gemini comes out. <laughs> so, Be ready for that. And uh, I also just finished recording with uh, Mike the Wildebeest. He attended uh, the recent Sundance uh, 2024 Film Festival. It's their 40th. And we went through all of the films that he talked about. And so those are either going to show up on streaming or come out theatrically. It's going to be a really, really good show, a good listen. So look for that in the future, too. I cannot wait for that. Uh,
2: Brad, who else should everybody be listening to outside of us and watch Skip Plus?
3: Yeah, that's Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And like we've said, like the Phoenix raising out of the ashes, you got (laughs) to check out Watch Skip Plus. Uh, The VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, Backlook Cinema Podcast, Zoe rewatched Solo, A Star Wars Story. And he actually liked it based on and he revisited it based on our episode. So yeah. we are doing some good in this world. Troy change your mind. I don't care what people say. Uh, God's the, work.
1: You join God's the, work. Yeah, God's tape
3: God's podcast, uh, film struck Raiders of the podcast. And Troy, if we're over on YouTube, who should we check out while we are there?
2: Well, stop by, see John watching now for something a little bit different. Uh, go visit VHS files podcast too. They got some video. um, but yeah, share some love. And uh, hey, folks, if you get a chance, you know, try and leave us uh, maybe a little positive review. Share the podcast with your friends. We would love to um, kind of, I don't know, increase the participation from the community and hear about everybody else's thoughts on the films that we talk about, but also get some more recommendations on bombs that we should be discussing. And uh, I think that covers all of the stuff that we do at the end of the show, right?
3: i think think we're right yeah
2: okay well jose i think i have
3: a new favorite quote now troy john Wu fucking fucks is probably one of my most favorite sayings i've ever said (laughs) in the 193 episodes so
2: that's true my mom would be very proud i'm proud (laughs) i'm really proud uh jose i cannot (laughs) thank you enough because i know you're super busy with the new job uh getting the podcast going again um just stop we we love having you over man we love
1: this oh thank you thank you i love i love again this is my home away from home and uh like like brad i am struggling to put up a facebook page for (laughs) watch plus uh i just need to find the time that's all but yeah yeah we do this because we love movies and we love talking about them i agree you'll be back soon too because
3: uh for episode two of not a bomb watches the classics we are doing deliverance so i don't want to forget yeah. to mention that
2: oh yeah we got to schedule that too oh boy yeah they'll get to hear our pretty mouths over that
1: movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well played well played sir uh okay i don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or evening thanks for downloading the episode come back next week we're going to have a lot of fun hopefully with some amazing guests and talk about some uh, sword and sorcery films so we'll catch you next week
3: don't lose your head